and thank you for tuning in to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by this week's message as we all live to bring more of heaven to earth. I just want to say thank you, Pastor. Uh, it's, uh, you've been a great example. I really appreciate that throughout my whole life. Uh, I've been honored to be part of his life and uh, be part of a, a wonderful community, a wonderful family, the family of God. I want to thank my sister for coming today and her husband, Tim, who's been a, an amazing role model of a father. Not only his own kids, but kids that um, would come to their house together they mothered and fathered kids that needed to be loved. And uh, so proud of you guys. My heart's just so full. And it's, uh, it's only because of him. So I hope that today that you get to partake in that as well. It's, it's quite a journey. But there's grace in the journey. And I hope that that comes through. So I just want to welcome the Holy Spirit. I want to welcome the spirit of unity, the spirit of healing, the spirit of love, the spirit of mercy, the spirit of grace, the spirit of wholeness. I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word, Lord, that leads us and guides us, Father, in paths of righteousness for your sake. I ask that you would lead me today and lead your saints as well, in Christ's name. I know a pastor mentioned a, the Father's Day uh, message, and uh, I know that many of us have not always had uh, experiences that were probably wonderful, having a, a, a father that was there for you and supported you, or even maybe didn't even have a father you were uh, I know someone within the church that lost their father when they were three years old. And, and so there's a lot of experiences, and those experiences sometimes can speak pretty loud in our lives. Um, but one thing that I know is that God wants us to experience him and allow that experience to be really the truth, because it is the truth. Um, his word is truth. What he says, even though we may not be experiencing what he says in the word, that doesn't take away that it's the truth. And we need our experiences to catch up to the truth. And the way we do that is we start believing in what it says more so than what we've experienced in our lives. And that takes a lot of courage because we've got to let go. And some wounds are hard to let go. But he's a loving father and he wants to heal those wounds. So um, I love that God is a, a God of stories and pictures and, and things like that. I, I'm kind of a, you know, touchy-feely kind of guy. You know, I need uh, visuals. I learn best by visuals. Uh, there are people that learn best 
through knowledge and reading, you know, and, and that's the beauty of, of God's creation is that he made us so uniquely different. But he gives us all. He gives us the word. So those that need that to nourish on. And he gives us pictures. And he gives us the beauty. I know my son enjoys going out and hiking, enjoying creation, and just looking at all the beauty that God has right there. We were just looking for a stone for my daughter for her countertops. And I'm looking at all the granite. And I just stopped and said to my wife, I said, I'm just blown away by all this beauty. These stones that are blue and green and yellow and just they're they're hidden. They're hidden treasures that need to be discovered. And it's just it's just amazing. It just it just things like that, because again, I'm visual. I'm like I'm moved by God's just his glory, his grandness, his creativity, all that stuff I'm just I'm moved by. So I want to read a story, and I, I and uh, it's a bit lengthy, I, I will admit, and I, I wish it wasn't, but uh, it is. And um, and I know we've heard this story over and over, and and I thought, well, let's not go there again. But then I thought, you know what? It's His Word. How do we renew our mind? We renew it by reading his word. If we have to hear the story over and over and over again, so be it. Because that's the truth. We need to hear truth more than lies. And so we're going to read the story of uh, the lost sheep. And uh, so to start out, it's in uh, Luke 15. And I know this is it. And I'm not the greatest reader, so bear with me. The whole chapter. <laughs> you say, wow. So, I want you to hear it. Because hearing is, is so important. Okay? So now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And he goes on, he tells another story like it. And he says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light up a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he goes on and he tells even another story. So first he's talking about a man that loses 
something. Then he talks about a woman that loses something. And now he's going to talk about a family that he wants to bring back together. And he says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth with wild living. After he had spent everything there, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will send out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got and went to see his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine that was dead is now alive again. He was lost and he is now found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But he had to celebrate and be glad because... The brother of yours was dead and alive again, was lost and now found. I read those all together because all of those talk about wholeness, completeness. 99, there was 100 to begin with, one was taken away. Ten silver, one was taken away. 
a whole family broken apart. In all of those, what God is emphasizing over and over again is the celebration that he has when wholeness is brought back to humanity. Okay? I think it's like God to show a man with a shepherd and then a woman and then a family is that he's speaking about all of humanity needs redemption and the celebration that he has for redemption. I don't know about you, but if I had a hundred sheep and I lost one, I'd count that as kind of like, you know, I'm going to lose one or here, here and there. Right? I mean, it's kind of, kind of like that part of doing business. You know, sometimes you take some on the chin it's, and you just say, well, chalk that up as a loss. I'm going to move on. At least I got 99. And I think that was kind of my attitude with, with that at first. And, um, but no, this, this person leaves 99 and risk even more because who's to say that something couldn't come and devour those 99 or a portion of those 99. I wouldn't say 99, but a portion. Certainly there was risk involved with leaving and going out for that one. The teachers of the law just could not understand how Jesus was mingling with these sinners. And uh, Jesus was trying to give them a picture of what the kingdom of God is really like. And uh, I, I don't think... They really got it, unfortunately. Uh, some did. So all three stories are a picture of restoration and wholeness. A man searches for wholeness. A woman searches for wholeness. A family seeks wholeness. And when wholeness is found, there's celebration by all of heaven. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Not only God, not only is he celebrating, but the angels are celebrating. Everybody is celebrating. He wants everybody to celebrate. It's interesting to me that, you know, that there are people that um, come from families of great wealth, right? And there's been many Fortune 500 companies that were built from fathers that, that led the way and worked really hard and developed this, this um, inheritance, if you will, for, for their children and, um, and sowed and did all this hard work in order to develop this for their children. And, and that's pretty much the picture that we have is that the sons came into it. Maybe they participated a little bit in it. I'm sure they were certainly helping because you sensed by the older son that he was doing all that dad had asked. But I'm sure before they came along, dad was doing his thing and developing his, his wealth and developing this culture uh, that he had, one that he honored the servants and the slaves, and he treated them like family. And so the sons came into this great, great inheritance. And all of a sudden, 
because they didn't maybe hoe it, one of them thinks, I think dad's holding out on me. You know, he just he's restricting stuff. I just want to do my thing. And I had a wonderful dad. Uh, just, uh, just amazing. And But there was a time in my life that I thought, you're cramping my style, dad. Like, really? Like, I, I just want to be free of you, of the rules, all this stuff. I want to do my thing, dad. And so I know I, I walk through that same thing. Many of us have. And the father gives the son his portion. Says divides the inheritance among the two of them. It says them. Divides it amongst them. So in order to divide it to one, you've got to divide it to the other to make it fair, right? So he divides it to one. And so the one wanders off and he, all the things that he thought God, dad was restricting, he takes uh, great pleasure in, in, um, in that experience. And um, I'm sure it was rather pleasurable at first. But as time went on, that wealth, he was no longer connected to that inheritance. He had it, but he squandered it. So he no longer could reconnect with that. And so all of a sudden he realizes that he's on his own. I got to do life now without him without all the blessings, without all the inheritance. i got to figure this out. And he starts figuring it out. And as time goes on, it gets more difficult. And life has a way of um, kind of teaching us, doesn't it? The scripture says that a famine came along. Hmm. Okay. That's life. Things come along. Right? And... Um, he does things that he probably would have never have done before because now he's trying to figure it out on his own. And all this time, the father's back home. You can sense from the end of the story that he's just constantly looking out, knowing that his son is going through experiences that he'd rather he didn't. So, it's, of course, the money dries up. The friends, so-called friends, right? Well, friends want to celebrate when you have something to give, but you don't have anything to give. You know, your real friends are standing there when you don't have anything to give. And uh, he didn't have any of those around him. I think his companions were pigs, which uh, <laughs> probably not the ideal for a Jewish boy. You know, so he, uh, he was in a tough place. And uh, he was starving. And it says that he came to his senses. What happened? He started to remember, remember what that inheritance looked like before he abused it and he misused it. And he started to ponder those things. Come to your senses. Sometimes that takes time. For me personally, I mean, I've had to come to my senses. It takes a long time. I'm a slow learner. There's a, I can attest to that, but... Um, that's another story. But um, is that he started to 
remember what his father was like because he had a clear, a clear look now. Selfishness was dead. He had died to himself. He was suffering so much that he was looking himself in the mirror probably for the first time and realizing that I'm not who I thought I was. Without my dad, I'm not much. And so he started to just contemplate all those things. Jeez, even the servants get fed really well. And they get treated so well. Maybe I'll go back and I'll be a servant. Maybe he'll take me back as a servant. So he leaves. Um, and one of the reasons why he leaves is that he, he humbled himself. And uh, in Scripture, it talks about humility in a, a variety of places. One of the verses, it, it starts out, I guess the original verse is in Proverbs 3.34, where it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And James uses it. Peter uses it. And throughout Scripture, you see it used over and over and over again. Is because humbling ourselves is the start of restoring ourselves. To realize that there's someone so much greater than we are. Someone that has an inheritance that I can count on being there. And um, so he, um, he comes back and it says, The father embraces the son with kisses and restores the son. I can only picture this uh, because uh, in my childhood, uh, my dad just had a hard time saying the words, I love you. If anything, I don't, I don't remember ever prior to his Christian experience where he went to a casino and um, he found Jesus. Of course, that was like, he did what? Like, what is that all about? Because we were good Catholics, and uh, I was an altar boy at a young age. And, um, and I thought, hmm, that seems weird. All of a sudden, this guy that never told me he loved me is telling me he loves me. And I'm like, mm, they didn't match to my experience. And, um, but over time, you know, my... My dad was going on his journey. He had a journey with God. And even though I was like rebellious with that, I had to go on my journey with God. And so each of us are on our own journey with God. Isn't what they're doing or she's doing or he's doing or it's about your journey. Your journey is unique. You are unique. You are made in the image of God. And we need to just continue to focus on him and his goodness and our journey. And I think we'll be doing all right.
And I think you probably see that what happened with the older son is that he was probably focusing on his brother's journey. You know, he's like, Dad, done everything. Like, what the heck? And I remember, <laughs> my brother-in-law Tim can remember this, is I was working for my dad, and that's another story. I'll tell you the whole story, but I'm working, and back in the day when you built a house, you did things with hammer and nail, not not pneumatic guns, you know? And so you had a pouch and an apron, and you're nailing nails, and and every now and then, I'm, I'm just a rookie at this. I'm just trying to learn. And I'd miss the finish nail. And um, I'd put a mark in the wood. And so I always had sandpaper in my pouch to make sure I sanded it out because I wanted to make it look perfect, right? I mean, that's the goal, right? That's Excellence was the standard. And so as soon as I stopped nailing, my dad, when I say he sprinted up the stairs, I mean he sprinted up the stairs, meaning three stairs at a time. I know that because I do that often. Two stairs. If I'm really upset, I might do three, but two stairs. And as soon as he gets in the room, he starts blasting me. What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just trying to do right. I'm just trying to please you. And I didn't understand. And I think the oldest son just didn't understand the father. And you can tell that he, he never got to the point where he wanted to understand the father. He was still looking at what he did to you. Look at me what I do for you. And it's like, the father's like, hey, let me just squash that right now. I have it all for you. You've always had it. You could have celebrated any time. But the son wanted to prove his worth to the father. And the father was trying to let the son know, you don't. You don't have to. And the older son wasn't able to humble himself and let go of that and embrace the younger son because of that. It's interesting that both of them had an inheritance. The older son was living his inheritance more as a servant, as a slave, than as a son. The son left the inheritance, squandered it, lived as a slave, sold himself to somebody, it says, and then came back for an inheritance again. And it says that the father, not only did he embrace, right? I know that when I feel a loving embrace, it just washes you, right? And then on top of that loving embrace, he kissed them. And I'm sure that that hug, that embrace, you know, hug, embrace, 
is for quite some time. He wanted to know that he could experience the love that the Father was giving him. He knew how important it was that the Son feel this love. He also knew the importance of reestablishing the Son, where he gave him a new robe. I'm sure the one he had was pretty tattered, pretty beat up, pretty soiled. And he says, no, 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 let's get that off. We're going to give you a new one. And then on top of that, he gives him a ring. A ring. You know, we have rings. The ring, it's a covenant. He had reestablished the covenant with his family. And so he restored everything that was lost, right? Life has a way of stealing things from us. And the Father wants to restore all those things back to us. But in order for that to happen, we have to see him the way he says he is, that he's a loving Father, willing and wanting to embrace you and heal you. I have gone through a journey of myself of healing, and I've asked God, I need to feel your love. I know your love. I can read it. But I need to experience your love. I needed that for my healing. And God provided that for me. I get overwhelmed by his love now. Because he made it so tangible. So real. There is no doubt anymore that my father is for me, not against me. His love will never leave me. He will never forsake me, even though sometimes experiences look like, hey, what happened here? I thought I was your child. You are his child. He's never left you. That father was always looking out, where's my son? Is he going to come back today? It was always his expectation that he was going to come back. So that's a little bit of there. But there's another story. I won't read the whole thing, so I don't want to. There's another story. I should probably put this up so I know. Holy smokes. It happens. Wow. All right, so we're going to have to rip through this. <laughs> so the other story, I guess, is the picture of humanity, right? What did God do when he first? He created us, right? God did all the work. He made the sky the sea, the trees. He made everything. And then he goes, I'm going to pop you in there. I'm going to give you the inheritance. Adam's like, this is amazing. This is beautiful. 
And he says, not only that, but I'm going to allow you to name them. I'm going to welcome you into my inheritance. I'm going to let you take part in that. I'm going to let you name all of these animals. Adam goes, yeah. It wasn't like, why do I have to do that? You made them. That's your job. Why don't you name them? That would be the elder son. Like, why do I have to work? Like, I didn't do that part in any of that. And so he willingly makes these uh, names for these animals. God, not only that, but he says, then he gives them authority. He says, I'm giving you authority over all these things. I want you to take dominion, control. I'm a school teacher. I like control. Okay? Um, why? is because I want to control a certain environment, right? A culture. I want to control the culture. And he wants sons and daughters to be able to administer or, or love the way that his culture does. And, um, and so he's enjoying all that God has given to him. And then all of a sudden, you wonder if he thinks that maybe I'm missing out on something. I know Eve, and I'm, so when I talk about Adam and Eve, I'm going to talk about humanity, okay? I don't want to talk about men and women. It has nothing to do with that. It has some humanity, right? He made us in his image. And so Eve says, God holding out on us? There's something here? Is there some wisdom here I can have? Like, sounds good. I know we're not supposed to do it, but maybe it's something else. And they both partake of something that God said not to take part in. And here they go from this inheritance into now having to work and strive on their own. God still provides. He protected them, right? Because when one of them decided to kill the brother, God said, protect them. Say, hey, hey, nothing, no harm's going to come to you because you did this. I'm going to protect you. So God still watched over and protect, but they couldn't partake of this inheritance anymore. Well, to move it along, so we see that um, the first Adam started his journey in the beautiful garden, paradise, in this perfect world. And then we see the second Adam leave this beautiful kingdom to come. And where was his first experience? Where, his, where did his journey begin? His journey began in the wilderness, in a desert of all places. You know, we go to the desert to find out what we're all about. We kind of realize that, man, we need something. Jesus starts out humble in a desert situation before he started his ministry. It says he was led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. Now, when Jesus was hungry, what did he, he rely on? He relied on the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. And likewise, this, the prodigal, when he was hungry, he became humble. And that's where he started his journey back, right? Jesus started in a place that we all need to start in, right? That brokenness, that humble, that desert-like experience where we recognize that we're not all that. And that he's a loving father. And um, 
So it pleased the father. Um, so in both stories, God made Adam and Eve. He said he was pleased. It was a good day. And then when Jesus had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the father says, he's pleased. This is my son who I am well pleased. So in both situations, both sons started with pleasing the father. And that's why we know that Jesus had to come back to redeem what what we did lose. Unlike the lost son, Jesus didn't yield to his uh, human desires when he was tempted. He drew to God for his strength. Okay, When things were difficult, he drew to his father. He remembered his father. He remembered the kingdom. He remembered what he was asked to do. And likewise, the lost son came to the point where he remembered also his inheritance. Jesus lived a life to restore wholeness. He willingly gave up his glorious kingdom to live as a servant and as a cursed, perfect man to rise and restore man back to their inheritance. In uh, John fourteen twenty six, it talks about um, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus reminds us that when he goes to the Father, he's going to send a helper, a comforter. And I think that's such a beautiful picture because what did it say that Eve was? His comforter, right? Adam's comforter. And so I'm not saying that you don't listen to your wife, you know, because she misled him. No, what I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, right? It was humanity that we looked to humanity for our understanding rather than look towards God. The Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us the paths of righteousness, He will show us the kingdom. He will show us that. Adam and Eve, if we look to humanity for advice, we're going to be on the wrong path. So that's what I'm saying. I want to show you that a picture of Adam and Eve, when Eve took part, she took part, they took part in man's thinking. And God said, I'm going to give you the perfect helper this time. One that's going to always lead you in paths of righteousness. So God is fully restoring mankind. All right, we're almost, we're getting there. So I want to read in Revelations 2.7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So we went from the beginning where we took part in our own thinking and our own logic, and we voided our inheritance. God sends his son as a servant. I got to tell you, it's probably a, the earth is probably a trash heap compared to what heaven's like. Jesus came into that, humbled himself, 
He created all those beautiful granites. He created all of you. He created all this stuff, and yet he humbled himself as a servant, not to judge the world, but to redeem the world. And, um, and he's so gracious to us that when we took part of the wrong tree, he says, Whoop, let's stop here for a second. Let's remove them. Because I don't want them taking part of the tree of life just yet and be left in this state forever. The father knew there would be some pain along the way, but he knew that that cost was well worth it because he had a plan to send his son so they could be redeemed so that in the end, those that overcame can finally take part in the tree of life and live forever in this glorious inheritance. Now, we get to take part in that glorious inheritance even now, but how much more glorious it's going to be when we have them in heaven. So what's this story all about? It's a father that wants to restore brokenness. He loves wholeness. He wants each one of us to be whole. He knows each one of us are on a journey. He's provided the way. By sending his son to live as a servant, he humbled himself even unto death. So we would be given the opportunity now to eat from the tree of life and live forever in an inheritance. Once again, even then, right? What's he say? He gives us a new robe, gives us crowns. So that's circle, that's covenant. And what's he do? He throws a banquet. It's party time again. He's celebrating. My children have come back. And um, they can enjoy the richness of his inheritance. And that's the desire of the Father. So I hope that um, you take some time and, and if your experience hasn't been one of love and one of acceptance, I hope that you read his word, you sense his heart, that he's a father of love. One of the things that I'm reminded often with It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's when I stop looking as a religious man, because I was both both those sons. I was both the religious one and the rebellious one. God healed all that. So I just want you to experience his love. There's nothing more precious. You're accepted. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to prove anything. I I, I sense the culture today is like everyone wants to be validated. And I said, you already are. You already are. You just have to accept that. You're unique. You're special. You're the best. That's truth. That's truth. The Father's telling you that. 
You don't need this world to validate you. You have been validated. He sent his son to prove it to you. I love the songs that we sang. He is for you. He's not against you. And taste and see that the Lord is good. So, Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for your love. (laughs) My heart is so full of your love because of the redemption work of your son, the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I know that you are for each one of us. Those that are here, those that weren't able to attend, and those that are listening out in the um, media world. Father, I just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord. Well, saints, you're loved by the Father. He's a good father, and in his kingdom, it's always Father's Day. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit faithworship.org. Thank you.